Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Rebecca Maida here, Zelina, the Wicked Witch of the West, and you're listening to Once Upon a Fan podcast. Enjoy, because it's wicked! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. I am your host, Zach Van Norman. I'm joined by my co-host, Ashley Benson. Hi, Ash. Hello. Asha's just returned from the um, Once Upon a Time convention uh, put on by Creation Entertainment in Vancouver. She will have all of the details of that in just a moment. But first, we're going to give you guys our normal news bulletins before Ashley gives us our our con breakdown and con update as well. We're going to start with a reminder about a great humanitarian event involving several actors that have been on Once Upon a Time either in the past or presently, and this is happening April 2nd. Sean McGuire and director Julianne Robinson have put together a show called Comedy, Not Conflict, an evening of comedy and music to raise money and awareness for people fleeing conflict zones. Sean and fellow Once Upon a Time actors Richard Schiff, who, play, Richard Schiff, excuse me, who played King Leopold, Marion Dungey, who played Ursula, Victoria Smurfit, A, who played Cruella, Patrick Fischler, who played... Isaac, the author, Michael Raymond James, who played Neil, and Robert Carlyle, who currently plays Rumpel in Mr. Gold, will be in attendance, as well as actors Jason Biggs from the American Pie series, John Cho, also from American Pie, as well as Harold and Kumar and the new Star Trek film series, he plays Sulu, as well as Modern Family executive producer and writer Danny Zucker and Chris Weitz, who wrote 2015's live-action adaptation of Cinderella and Rogue One. Again, this event is Sunday, April 2nd. It starts at 7 p.m. It's hosted by Gary Cannon. The DJ is Zen Freeman. Tickets are available for purchase at viperroom.com for $25. Just go to their calendar page and click on April 2nd to order your tickets. Guests must order their tickets from the venue in order to be admitted, and you must be 21 or older to attend. All proceeds will support Oxfam's humanitarian response to the Syrian refugee crisis. Oxfam is providing life-saving aid to displaced people in the Middle East and is helping families meet some of their basic needs as they travel beyond the region to seek safety. So it's obviously a great cause. I'm going to be there, as well as a couple of other folks that I know. And you never know, there are some other folks who, you know, could always show up, who are related to the show, who are just in support, who aren't currently announced. So you never know. If you're in the L.A. area and you want to go, then by all means, come and join it. Also, we've got news at BroadwayWorld.com. Actually, excuse me, we've got news from BroadwayWorld.com that Jennifer Morrison is joining Matthew Perry in New York City later this year for the American premiere of the off-Broadway play titled The End of Longing, written by and starring Matthew Perry. 
in his New York City playwriting and stage acting debuts alongside stage and television regulars Quincy Dunn Baker and Susie Jean, excuse me, Sue Jean Kim. Um, so yeah, this I just want to say that this The End of Longing was playing at London's Playhouse Theater last year, and it's the reason why Matthew Perry had to miss out on the Friends reunion during NBC's tribute to James Burroughs last year, but I'm not bitter. Anyway, his performances in New York City begin on May 18th, ahead of a June 5th opening night at the Lucille Mortel Theater. Ray. Um, So an alcoholic, an escort, a self-diagnosed neurotic, and a well-intentioned dimwit walk into a bar. Broke with, excuse me, broken and deeply flawed, they find their lives irreversibly entwined no matter how hard they try to break free of one another. The end of longing is a bittersweet commentary, excuse me, comedy that proves that broken people don't need to stay broken. So I'm just laughing at this too because it's an alcoholic and escort, a self diagnosed neurotic, and a well intentioned dimwit. So which one is Jen playing? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, is she going to be like the escort? <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I think that would be great. So, um, yeah, we'll have more information for you on that as it becomes available, of course, as always. And now I'm going to turn to my my sultry co-host, my Kathleen Turner wannabe, my Jessica Rabbit impresario, impresaria, um, <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> Welcome. Hello. Hello. Good Lord, you sound like a man. <laughs> this is yeah, it's really it's really bad this time. For new listeners, um I get like I don't get concrete, I get con voice. And uh, <laughs> um after a convention, I usually I usually start to lose my voice during the convention, most people do, but I don't know there's something about it like it takes a day or two for me to like heal my vocal cords from just shouting over everything and constantly talking to people. I love talking to people, but constantly talking kind of takes its toll. And if we get the uh, smokes a pack a day, Jessica rabbit voice for the, for the podcast after. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, I want to talk about some conventions that are coming up in April since con season is in full swing. And then I can talk about, the convention I just came from uh, up in beauteous, non-sunny Vancouver. Uh, it's, it's still gorgeous, even though it rained like 90% of the time. I am okay with that. So let me pull up the information. I don't want to lead you pray once. First off, since you mentioned uh, Jen joining the play, there has been some talk about uh, how that will affect her upcoming convention appearances. Um, and she mentioned in her panel at the con, she doesn't know if she'll have to cancel any convention appearances or anything like that. Nothing is written in stone as of yet, but she said she's going to try as hard as she can to make everything work out. So when those changes come along, we'll be sure to keep you updated. Um, coming up in April, obviously, Zach mentioned the Comedy Not Conflict event, which sounds rad, and I am Steaming with jealousy, I can't be there. Um, then, on April 14th, we have Indiana Comic Con, where Sean McGuire will be appearing, as well as Millie Bobby Brown, who was in Once a Time, uh, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland as uh, the young Alice in that really creepy scene 
in the cave. Um, you may also know Millie Bobby Brown as Levin in Stranger Things. Um, she'll also be appearing at C2E2 on April 21st uh, through the 23rd in Chicago. Um, so if you're going to be in the Chicagoland area at that time, I'm going to be there as well. It's my birthday weekend. Come say hi. We can have a pint together. It'll be fantastic. Um, also coming up that same weekend is Storytelling Con in Barcelona, and a lot of folks are really excited about this. Beverly Elliott has been tweeting nonstop. Uh, she will be there, as well as Lana Perea, Sean McGuire, Rebecca Mater, Colin Donahue, Megan Ori uh, will be there as well. Um, and that same weekend, because like I said, con season, uh, will be Magic Con in Deutschland, Germany. Um, in Bonn, I think I'm saying this right. My, my German is terribly lacking. Romantic languages I can do, but German, nah, nine. Um, Emily DeRaven will be there as well as Keegan Connor Tracy, the Blue Fairy. And later in the month will be the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo, where Millie Bobby Brown will make another appearance, and so will Raphael Sabarge. Uh, our very own Dr. Archie Hopper, and that is in Alberta, Canada. To round out the month, they will be having the third iteration of Storybook UK, and this will take place in Blackpool from April 28th to the 30th. Uh, Emily DeRavin, uh Lana Perea, Rebecca Bader, Jared Gilmore, Robert Carlyle at a very rare convention appearance. Sean McGuire, Karen David, who plays Jasmine, and Odette Fair, who plays Jafar, are all confirmed for this event. I do believe um, there might be a few more appearance, uh, people appearing that I'm missing. I'm still kind of trying to catch up after a very long weekend running around in the Enchanted Forest. Um, yeah, but for right now, those are our conventions for April. If you know of any conventions or any appearances that I might not have mentioned, please feel free to shoot us a tweet um, and let us know, and we can get everything on there. Um, so, moving on to my own adventure this past weekend, um, as you may know, I, are you giggling, Zach? No. Oh, I just, I thought you were making fun of my voice. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to be more, I'm, I'm going to try to be more sultry just for you. Um, yeah, as you may or may not have known, I attended the Once Upon a Time creation uh, event in Vancouver this weekend, as well as visited the Real Life Storybook Richmond, and I was fortunate enough to catch a little bit of filming uh, right before I left town. Um, the convention was great. Everyone was, I think, the energy was really high. Everyone was really happy. There was no drama at the con which uh, you know, there very rarely is drama in person at the conventions. It's usually somebody misinterpreting something on Twitter and deciding they're going to make something of it. And we're all sitting there in the convention hall like, wait, are, we're, we're, we're fighting? I didn't know that. I just had a beer with somebody. It's all good. Um, and that's why I love cons. Uh, at this convention, I spent a lot of time outside of the uh, photo ops and autographs. I really didn't do that portion of the con. So it was really great, though, to kind of see all different groups of oncers kind of hanging out, interacting, experiencing Vancouver. A lot of people would go off and spend a day in Steveson um, to visit the real-life Storybrooke. Uh, I actually I got to meet 
um, a longtime Twitter correspondent, Oneser Source uh, FR, our bonjour, our French uh, Oneser friends. Um, so it was very nice to put a face to the Twitter handle. We They often translate a lot of our, our convention reporting and interviews for our Oneser's in France, and, and merci for that. Thank you. And it was just really nice to meet them. Adam showed up randomly at the convention. I don't know if you guys heard that. He was in town for filming, and he came in to, I guess, use the bathroom. And (laughs) it was like, oh, hey, I know you. (laughs) It was a little funny. I I had left the convention hall, and I'm walking, and I was like, holy shit. Oh, (laughs) that's unexpected. (laughs) Also on this weekend um, was the final live screening of the uh, Once Upon a Time, the Rock Opera. It was extremely well attended. They had to pull in chairs from other places at Michael Coleman School, and thank you, Michael Coleman, for hosting the event um, to accommodate folks who were attending. And it was kind of a really nice uh, cherry on the top of the tour that the Rock Opera did last year. Um, I, like I said, I visited Steveson and it was, it, it's always so odd when you go to Steveson because it, uh, there's about four blocks of, uh, Moncton Street that are quote unquote Storybrook. Um, so when you, when you kind of get to that point, it's, if you, even if you've never been, it's like walking into a dream. Like, it's a place that you're very familiar with. You know it. You've seen it. But to be there physically, it takes a minute to kind of really get your bearings. And it was it was very neat to go there and have another grilled cheese at Granny's and a hot chocolate and then wander around and, you know, take pictures of the clock tower, things like that. Um, they moved the signage from the storefront that used to be Mr. Gold's um, pawn shop. They uh, use a different um, facade now for that. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a few little things changed. Um, it was nice seeing our friends at the Richmond Tours on board as well. Hi, Lori. Thank you for uh, you know, remembering me and stopping by and helping me post postcards. That was fun. And they have a big old stamp that says Richmond, so it's like it's officially from Storybrooke. Um, what else? What else? Oh, yes. So I spent Monday, most of Monday morning, got up in an obscenely early hour to uh, visit the Enchanted Forest. And I did see some filming, and I absolutely refuse to give you any spoilers other than we saw Jennifer Goodwin film, and there were a couple of other cast members with her. And it was very funny because there was one cast member we couldn't figure out who it was because we couldn't see their face. So there was like wild mass speculation by the fans watching filming until they left set. And it was like, oh, that's who that is. That's interesting. Um, When the episode airs, I can talk about any set pieces or anything that we saw. But I will say I have, I always have such a high respect for the actors, especially when they're filming on location. But I really have one now because the weather was terrible that day. It was pouring rain and we were all soaked through from standing in the mud. And they're out there filming, you know, running around, and then the crew's doing their thing, and seeing everything set up in order to make, to light and make the Enchanted Forest, you know, Enchanted Foresty, like we said, the fog machines and everything out there. So that was just, it was really cool to kind of see the magic being made. 
Uh, oh, and I have to do a shout-out to the Leaf Lady, Sarah, because she, first off, she's a wild partier. Holy cow. <laughs> but second, she's also very much a sweetheart to fans on set, and it's very nice for her to take time while she's working to come and say hello and you know, she she gave me a prop from the episode that actually just aired. It was one go in my little shelf of all my once trinkets, and it's just kind of a nice little something to take away from the uh, this experience in Vancouver. Jumping back to the convention, uh, they did something different this time that they haven't done before. They had a karaoke night. It's free for everybody. It's kind of like a dance party concert thing. Fans went up and sang some karaoke and the cast was there singing karaoke. I'm sure you've seen pictures of Karen David being, uh, she was singing uh, Time of Your Life from uh, Dirty Dancing, and they kind of mockingly mimed to do the the lift. And then she did it. (laughs) Um, And uh, Adam Crowsdale, who plays Hook's father, like picked her up, and it was kind of a moment of, oh, God, please don't fall off the stage. And I will tell you this, if you've never seen a Leaf Lady and Beverly Elliott Granny headbang together before, um, you have not lived because that was just enchanting. And yeah, it was just a very fun weekend, uh, spending time with so many different groups of monsters that I've come to meet over the years and new friends as well. Um, folks who are involved either in, in other podcasts or other, you know, fan sites and it's the thing that you really have to take away from a convention like this and honestly the show as a whole is that it brings everybody together and really allows like you to see the community that's kind of grown around all this like there are no shipping fights there are no this no that um the actors panels were all very it's just very lovely to listen to everybody kind of you know talk about the show um Nobody gave away really any spoilers, so I can't really comment on that. But everyone just seemed really jazzed to be there. It was, speaking of jazz, it was Jasmine, Karen David's first convention. And so she was like, she, I think she wants to do so many more now. She had she had a good experience, so I'm glad that fans were able to give her that. Um, do you have any questions for me, Zach? I can talk about this all day. No. Um because we've already talked about it privately, so I don't have any questions. Um, I will well, just is there say anything, that, Is there anything mm-hmm. you think that uh, we talked about privately the fans might want to, you know, know about or I don't know. Like, I don't know what I – no, not like that. I don't know what folks are – yeah, some of the stuff is off the record, guys. <laughs> when I'm in – nope, nope, no. Okay. So good. I'm not going to say anything, but if – um, no, shenanigans. Um, Let's shenanigans were afoot all weekend. <laughs> yeah, oh, I had Bex's, I had Bex's beer. I, I did get some of Rebecca Mater's yeah. the the Switch's brew. It's delicious. It's as dark as the night, but it's not super hoppy. It reminds me very much of Off Color Brewing um, Scurry beer. So it's it's very. I think they called it a dark lager. Actually, it wasn't really a porter. Um, so it had a very clean finish. It was actually a very light for how dark it was. It wasn't very hoppy at all. So it was lovely. They had it at the hotel, as well as a few other locations, but we managed to toddle over to Main Street Brewing, which was 
that was interesting because I was with Mallory McDonough who plays or who doesn't play. Well, she she cosplays as uh, Snow White, and she's eerily similar looking to Jennifer Goodwin. And that was that was an adventure trying to find the brewery in the pouring rain with a ukulele. And yeah, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Zach. What were you gonna say? Um, no, I was I was gonna say that you should mention that you got back some beer. Um, and also, <laughs> guys, if you're interested in a very comprehensive um, on-the-ground um, record of events from this past weekend's con and all of those adventures. You can always check out Ashley's Twitter profile at Mitigated Text on Twitter uh, because she has a ton of pictures up there and tweets of various news and bits of information from this weekend. So, by all means, it's like 90% you know, pictures of mountains. <laughs> I really love mountains, guys. It's like 90% pictures of, look at this tree. This is a nice-ass tree. <laughs> I agree with you on that because I'm from the Northwest, <laughs> Seattle, so I I have to. Like, it's because it's part of who I am. It's in my DNA. But um, I will also say that, like, I love how every episode, every podcast, you give me a reason to say that you are such a lesbian. Um, what the hell? What do trees have to do with lesbianism? <laughs> we can talk about that another time. No, but I'm just like imagining you like camping in the trees. Like I don't know. My mind goes to a very comedic like. I was kind of like, like shinning up a tree during filming because I'm only five foot two, so I couldn't see over everyone's damn ass umbrellas. So I'm like, imagine me like up on a root of a tree over everyone's head, like trying to see what was going on. Oh, I can't. Um, cause, yeah. Because yeah. when, when you visit filming, obviously, you have to be very respectful because you're in someone's workplace. It is a gift that they – obviously, they film in public areas, so you can't, like – it's not a gimme that – or rather, okay, let me start with that. They, they film in public areas, so they can't really kick you out so much. I mean, obviously, if you're being disruptive or if you're creeping about, they can be like, please, you know, you leave. But um, – if, but, but, but it, yes, creeping about. But if you are, uh, it's still they have you stay a bit far back, especially out of the uh, eye line of the actors because it's a bit distracting. Um, so it's just, it's such a gift though to be able to go there and and you are in someone's workplace. So I mean, most fans are very respectful of that, and it it is is such so nice to just I guess get the behind the scenes. But yeah, I had to I was up in, in the rain in a tree and I had just got my hair did. So they're like, Ashley, what the hell's wrong with your face? You have this he started us thing going and I guess the purple was coming out of my hair because we were standing in the rain for five hours. So I had purple all down the side of my face. And I didn't realize and they're like, Oh, we need to fix this So that that blows because you spent money on that, so I'm sorry to hear that. Um it, well, it was raining. It was there was only one sunny day, and I and but it was and it was well, the one day I spent all day inside. Go figure. But um, the weather in Vancouver it was actually quite mild. It was really nice, but I could see how filming outside for eight hours, you know, kind of sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would think so. But yeah. The convention con, like the creation cons, honestly, because I only spent money um, to really just get a sheet to look at the panels. So uh, 
they, those, like I've said before, are very much cons where, you know, if you spend the dough, you get the show. Um, you you really, if if this is the only con you go to, then I say go whole, whole hog with the, uh, the gold passes and getting all your photo ops and everything. Um, but, you, I mean, I still had a great time just being able to, like, be there and hang out with everybody. And you can buy autographs of things separate. I got a chance to actually talk to Karen David which was cool because we've uh, interacted on Twitter since Gallivant. So it was nice for both of us to be like, oh, hi, you're actually a person. Um, and again, I, I'm sorry. I Shout out to Kate Engelbade for doing my hair because she's my hair lady. And I know a lot of people ask about it, and she, she's my stylist, and she's just fantastic. She always wants to hear about the hair. Um, and Karen recognized me from the hair, and she's like, I'm fun going because I recognize the wavy purple hair. And I was like, that was my moment on the con where I was like, yes. That and the fact that I had wandered into a Korean barbecue place at 2 o'clock in the morning and some guy goes, attention lady. And I was like, oh, shit, what? And he pointed at the hair and I was like, okay. So I'm very proud of my hair. <laughs> and now that I digress off of the uh, topic of my hair, um, are, is there anything else I've missed that? No, I don't think so. Um, again, guys, for more information, go to Ashley's Twitter page for a bunch of pictures and tweets with... Apparently, lesbian trees. And lesbian I will trees. Never look, I don't get it. Is it like... Is it like I don't... like Somebody tweet me it's and explain just, to me how trees equal lesbians. Please. Like, who do you, you and, like, female Nick Offerman, like, whittling a canoe out of, like, a fallen oak? No, but, like, were you wearing plaid, though? Like, did you have hiking boots on? I had my purple boots on that I always wear, Zachary. Right. And I also had, I did have a, I did have a plaid scarf on, so shut the hell up. (laughs) You had a plaid shirt on, didn't you? No, I had a plaid scarf, shush. A plaid scarf. Okay, well, okay. At some point in the mix, plaid was there. So the only thing that you were missing was your U-Haul, and and my seventeen cat. Yeah, no, totally. And your Birkenstocks. So there you go. Oh please, I would okay. never wear Birkenstocks. That is so nineties. What are you in an episode of Will and Grace? Come on. I guess. <laughs> All right, so page 23 was written by David H. Goodman and Brigitte Hales. It's either that or Bridget. I don't know. But it's still Brigitte, and that's the first <laughs> pronunciation. So There's a I'm lot of T's in her name. There's a lot of T's in yeah. her name, so I'm, I'm wondering if it's Brigitte. Yeah, so I'm going to try to say them. Um, and it was directed by Kate Woods, who, as far as I can see is new to directing episodes of Once Upon a Time. Looks like this was her first one. Um, so, you know, there it is. Actually, hold on. I'm just going to keep one thing. Oh, there's, while Zach is looking up information, there's one more thing. Um, they had the opportunity, the Gold Pass members, to actually do real set visits at Burn, uh, Burnby um, Studios. I believe so, where they actually have the interior sets of, like, Mary Margaret's apartment, the um, mayor's office, and folks could take pictures and stuff, and kind of need to see. Some folks kind of did, uh, I guess you could call it a 
OUAT version of uh, Disney bounding where it was kind of, you know, storybook wear for some of the characters and took pictures that way. And it's kind of neat to see those flooding in as well. And it's a really cool experience for some fans. I wasn't able to go because I wasn't a Gold Pass member, but one day. Mm. All right. So I've got some interesting information because I noticed something. I just wanted to look it up really quickly. So um, Kate Woods, uh, the woman who directed this episode, um, it's an interesting distinction, actually, that I think she might hold because – and really something for the show as well, which is just an, an interesting topic. Um, up until the beginning of this season, there had only been two female directors on Once Upon a Time from the first episode till the end of season five. And then starting in season six, there was – I'll Be Your Mirror, which was directed by Jennifer Lynch. Um, Changelings, which was directed by uh, Merzi Al... Let me see, what is it? I'm going to say this wrong. Merzi Almas. And then um, Morgan Beggs with Murder Most Foul. So before that, the other two female directors, excuse me, that had directed for the show were Gwyneth um, Horder-Payton and... Sorry, there's a long list. Um, Morgan Banks. Okay, so actually she had directed before. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, just saying. Wanted to point that out real quick. All right, so, yeah, that's it was written by David H. Good member, G. Hale, directed by Kate Woods. All right, cool. Um, Ashley, overall, what did you think of this episode? Overall. Um... It's interesting because obviously I'm still in Vancouver time. I had to cram a lot of things that I normally take my time with into one day since I only arrived last night. Um, By the way, Canada air is lovely. Anyway, um, (laughs) I'm not sure really. I, I don't know if I've had enough time to digest the episode. I feel a li I mean, it's, in some ways, it, ha- it gave closure. In other ways, I'm not sure I like the closure it gave. Um, I feel as if some of the meat of the flashbacks felt as if we'd already been in that place before. Like, it was very odd for me to see Regina stalking after Snow White yet again. Um, and Actually, it, it really made me think it was like, you know, she's busting into towns and she's going after Snow White like, she really terrorized the crap out of her constituency to get at Snow White. Like, I guess I never really thought about that before until we saw it again in flashback form. Um, and I don't know if that really was a, was a, um, there were some other additions that I just kind of didn't feel they, this episode I don't think fit as well together puzzle piece wise, you know what I mean? As some of the other ones that we've had recently, I felt this this half of the season has been very strong, but this episode felt a little clunkier, I think is the best way I could put it. Um, It didn't hit that high mark that episodes like uh, like Charming's episode uh, had, was that Murmur's Follow You, hadn't really hit that high, though. I will say seeing more of Henry and more of Zelina was definitely welcome, more of Snow as well. but yeah, it just it's uh, 
it felt weird, and I, I can't articulate really why that was just yet. But I think as we discuss uh, more specific things, I'll be able to draw that out. What did you think, Zach? Well, I do agree with you as far as feeling like we um, have been there before. Um, that was actually my, my note specifically, what I wrote down. I said, um, this is a directly quote. I feel like we've seen a variation on this opening scene a number of times already. Regina shows up to a group of cabins looking for Snow White with her father in hand. She appeals to the villagers, saying she's the one who cares about them and not Snow. And then something happens to interrupt the scene. I've seen this a couple of times already, so um, it just felt very familiar. I mean, I can understand why they would have chosen to put the flashback at this point in time because it's kind of in that vague realm of Regina's on the hunt for Hawaii, and there's a lot of, you know, um, we've seen a lot of that that part of the story from Snow White's point of view. Um, we've seen a lot of it from Regina's point of view as well, obviously, but um, I just, you know, it, it's, it, it's a place where it can fit. If you need to have a flashback, you can just put one in that period of time, and it seems to work. Um, and it, it seems to work every time too, which is kind of, you know, refreshing that they can, even though it may get a little repetitive to see that same time period over and over again. Um, it's kind of interesting to see that it's still, I mean, it still works even when it's repetitive, it works. So I think, you know, that that's probably the most important thing that can be said, um, about that. Um, I, this one, you said that the episode was clunkier. Um, I can tell you, yeah, that's, at least I think that's what you said. Um, that would be my word for it. Um, because I, I just, it didn't quite hit that high mark for me either, as you had mentioned, um, to your point. Um, like even in that beginning scene, um, Tink showed up, which I was kind of surprised to see her there. Um, mm-hmm. Partially yeah, because I was, I kind of thought that, um, I mean, number one, I had, I knew that Rose McIver was going to be on an upcoming episode, but I had kind of pushed the details of that, um, out of my mind, even after we reported on it, because I wanted it to be like a surprise. So I guess I just kind of subconsciously wished <laughs> it away. And, um, but when she showed up, I was like, oh my God, it's King. Like, this is so cool. And if, you know, first, I mean, obviously I was happy to see her the whole time. I love, you know, Rose McIver is very, very nice. I met her last year and um, she's just a very nice person. So if you ever have a chance to go to a con or, you know, I would say by all means do so if you're interested in meeting her. She's really nice to talk to, very, very sweet. Um, and she likes to talk about the work too. So if you ask for something about like acting itself, she'll don't really get into it with you. Um but I was I was kind of surprised that it was only the one appearance in that just one scene that she was in. I kind of thought that she might be showing back up in the modern, not modern day, present day storyline um, with the two sides of Regina battling each other. Because as far as I can remember, Tink is still there in town. Yes, I no? believe. Yeah, I don't think we've heard any dialogue definitely not seen any evidence, but I don't think we've heard any dialogue about her returning to anywhere unless she went with the other group that was magic back to the, what was it, the Enchanted Forest in Season 5? 
like with Roland and all them. I don't think she was. I don't think we've had any indication that she's anywhere but Storybrooke. Right. Um, I I would agree with that just because we haven't. So, um, I kind yeah. I mean, I I kind of thought especially with you know, I guess. For me, overall, with it because I, I'm, well, I say overall, like we're not talking about specific points here, but I mean overall, mm-hmm. I guess from I was expecting this episode maybe when I saw Tinkerbell to take <laughs> an unexpected direction um, that would maybe include Regina, the Evil Queen, Robin Hood, Tinkerbell, and possibly like Zelina. And even everybody else, if they all, you know, showed up because they all run around together, so why wouldn't they? But mm-hmm. um, I kind of thought that at least those, you know, those four people, if not five, would have something to do with each other, and the tank would play, you know, a major role. And that didn't happen. And I also think too, um, and I don't think I'm wrong on this. And if I am, please forgive me, everybody involved. But I could have sworn that there was an interview somewhere um, in the past in which either Adam or Eddie said that that feather that floated down onto the bench in that previous episode from what feels like a million years ago now um, was going to, like, play some kind of part or that it was significant in some sort of way. And I don't, I, I'm not sure. I think you're right. I don't know. I don't remember for sure. I know, so I don't want to, like, misquote them. I don't want to misspeak, and I feel horrible about the fact that I don't have that pulled up, but I'm just thinking about it now because that, that when when the Evil Queen and Robin Hood didn't, you know, when they had their resolution, I guess we're just jumping into it this way, um, mm-hmm. when they, you know, had their kind of resolution and when... I mean, all throughout the episode, I was like, okay, there's, you know, something is going to happen to wrap all this up, and and in some way, this is, you know, Robin said, you know, it's all gonna, it's all gonna come together. All these loose threads are gonna tie together. Um, and then when we got to the point where, like, after the fight, where Regina and the Queen were in the office back to normal, which, to be honest with you, I was like. This is so strange to see the evil queen doing any kind of manual labor, even lifting a cow. Um, <laughs> it was just bizarre. But um, when they sat down, and then she said that she had sent Robin back to his land, back to the wish realm, the wishful forest. And I was like, I was confused by a number of things. Like, I, it's going to be really hard to talk about this episode because I feel like it's going to go off in a million directions at once, but this is just kind of the tangent that it's taking us. So I just feel like, number one, when they had that scene and the Evil Queen said that she had sent him back to his realm, like, all kinds of things went into my head. And she even said, see, like, something that I was thinking. The Evil Queen said, oh, I'm sorry that you didn't get to say goodbye. And Regina said, it's probably better this way. Um, that's debatable. <laughs> Um, I don't yes, well, think... Yes and no, though. Well, that's what I mean. It's yes. debatable. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Your tone makes me think that it was like, no. Like, she should have totally said goodbye. Well, here, I do feel that way. I mean, I think it's. I mm-hmm. think both sides are arguable, and I think that both sides have a valid point. 
Uh, but so what do you I, feel? Here's what I feel like. I feel like <laughs> when Robin died and Regina's happy ending, as we had perceived it thus to that point, um, was taken from her, that was kind of like a stunning blow to, um, you know, fans of Regina's character and fans of her relationship with Robin Hood and Outlaw, you know, in, in I mean, Outlaw Queen fans, obviously. And even just casual fans of their relationships who just thought that they were sweet together, you know, you know, and just like their relationship. Like you, Ashley, you're not really heavy, heavily into shipping, but you've always mm-hmm. enjoyed their relationship, I think. So, you know, even for people who are casually invested in their romance, I think that, you know, that that was kind of something, and we've spoken about it in the past, it was something that really, yeah. you know, kind of was a stunning kind of blow for her character and her development where she had started, where she had come from, and, you know, where she was now, and all those, you know, all those factors all together. And um, then when Robin came back, when we saw him in the Wish Realm, and then he has been back all this season, even though obviously Robin of Loxley is not, this, he's not Robin Hood, definitely, by far. And he and Regina do not have, um, you know, anything in common. He is obviously more better suited, perhaps, for the Evil Queen. Um, because of who she, you know, obviously, you know, for what the reasons that they established in this episode, I suppose. But um, I feel like Regina should have had a goodbye with this Robin Hood and a chance to say something that she did not get to say to the other one, to her Robin Hood. Even if it's not necessarily meant the same way, like it would have still had been a meaningful goodbye where it's not just him throwing himself in front of something to save her and then vanishing in a puff of blue light, you know, and her, him smiling at her and her looking at his ghost before he disappears and that's it. Like they never got to say a word to each other, you know, after that. And I just feel like that there should have been a scene where he was going back and they would have had a chance to exchange words and she would have had a chance to say something that even though, you know, like it would have been one of those double entendre things where what like one line of dialogue or two out of like a monologue would have a double meaning, something that would count for her Robin and for Robin of Loxley. And I feel like not giving that scene to her is kind of not really giving the return of this new Robin, the, you know, I don't think it's, I feel like it's not giving that the payoff that it deserves and that their relationship earned and that Regina has earned. Um, oh, I, I can I agree that, with you on that. So, yeah. So I, I just feel like, you know, that's where I'm coming from. That's what I feel should have happened um, to give I, that. Uh, yeah. I, I do agree with you on that, that there is felt very abrupt. Um, but uh, part of me from my own personal experience, um, has realized that sometimes a goodbye isn't the best thing. I mean, sometimes you kind of have to just let things go. You can't, obviously interpersonal relationships, whether they're friendships or romantic, take a lot of work. But sometimes when all the work's only being done by one person on one side, it's better for that person to kind of release and let go and 
maybe a Dubai isn't part of that. So on one hand, I do think because we kind of learned about the person who Robin of Loxley is, it's very funny, by the way, they use, Lana used that designation, Robin of Loxley versus Robin Hood in her panel. So I was like, yay, yes. But um, when us learning who Robin of Loxley really was and how he really wasn't Robin, I don't know. I feel as if almost that goodbye would seem likely hollow because of how abrupt this happened. Now, if we had maybe gotten another half episode or something with Robin of Loxley and maybe not even so much a goodbye, but just kind of like an acknowledgement of a goodbye, something a bit smaller to kind of like put a period at the end of that particular sentence. I mean, yeah. I felt like, yeah, that could have worked, but I don't think that the kind of goodbye she would have given Robin Hood would have rang as true or worked as well as, uh, with Robin of Loxley. So that's where my conflict with that comes in. But a, a lot of that definitely has to do with how abrupt it seemed. It was like, oh, yeah, and he, he, he cut he cut out. He, he's done. I feel like, honestly, having bringing him back was not about him at all. I mean, and that's pretty obvious. It was very much about Regina. Oh, definitely. So definitely. it was about her working through things. Um, so for her to acknowledge that it probably would have been the best thing, I guess, is her release, at least from my point of view. I can see that point as well. Um, I just, I, but to your point, I feel like having that goodbye scene would have definitely helped out her working through those things. So, mm. you know, it's just something that I, I wish that I, I could have seen because I feel like um, Regina and, like, I feel like Regina and Robin Prime, so to speak, like Prime, Fox mm-hmm. Prime, in the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Um, I feel like Regina and Robin Prime did not get proper closure, and I feel like... No. This, yeah. uh, I feel like this was a missed chance to give them some. And, you know, I kind of have... Um, I, I have... I understand why they went with the way that they did um, conceptually, I um I don't like the way perhaps that it was that it ended up getting executed because I can see why they would want to get Robin back to Robin of Loxley back to the Wish Realm. But the issue that I have with um Robin and Robin of Loxley and Regina not having a proper goodbye scene kind of extends to his exit from Storybrooke and the way that that was wrapped up as well because the other thing of when I heard the, the evil queen when she was sitting on the couch say that she had sent him back in addition to being like wait like why didn't Regina have to say goodbye the second thing that I thought was how exactly did you get him back there because you can't just poof somebody to another realm Tree, maybe? I don't know. Tree doesn't go both ways. 
So I was like, what? And then, like, because then later on, Regina literally had to go to Henry and be like, hey, can you please write her into the place where she can get a fresh start? And they had this whole touching goodbye, which was very effective, and it worked. But that shouldn't have, like, if they had to go to Henry to get her there, how did she get Robin there? Like, it Um, it doesn't. I'm wondering with that, though, because I was thinking about, like, well, did she go back in time? No. Um, Henry made a point to say, uh, I can't mess with things in my own book. And that brought to mind to me the nine gajillion once upon a time volumes that they found in the uh, was it the library in New York. Um, so this, I think, is, is the other version where page 23 was a thing. That's where... He sent her, so I'm wondering if he created, if he actually created her, not an, I don't want to call it an alternate timeline, but another alternate reality, like a bubble where they, where she can get her fresh start. But in the case of Robin, the Wish Realm already had been brought into existence, so that you didn't need an author to bring it into existence. But again, this, none of this was, none of this was shown or, telegraphed on screen at all. So this is just our speculation trying to suss out what makes sense. And I feel like the episode could have benefited from a bit more explanation of that rather than, yeah, he just left. Exactly. And I feel like, you know, I feel like that explanation, like, again, like, that's why I feel like in order to kind of solve both of those things, that... The goodbye scene with Robin kind of would have done that, because maybe it it would have been a it basically like instead of having it be like a it was kind of like split in half the way that it was kind of like Regina ha uh, um, uh, it would have it would have been a thing where they could have had their big goodbye battle and maybe Robin is sitting there and he's kind of torn because he doesn't really know who to root for, right? Because he kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, they're the same person, and there's that whole, like, weird balance to it as well. And then <laughs> that could have been, like, the goodbye scene where, like, Regina got to, you know, egg, like, and the Evil Queen both got to talk to Robin and to each other. Like, and and there would have been, like, much more resolution to that whole situation. And then later on, like that was, everything still could have happened. The only thing that would have, the only thing that needed change was just keeping Robin there and keeping Robin around because even then later on, when they go to the diner to ask Henry for help, Robin could have just been there too. And Henry could have just written them both away. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like they kind of opened a hole, a plot hole that didn't need to be there. Like it could have just been resolved on its own in an entirely different I, way. Um, I could, yeah, no, I, I could see that. Cause I was thinking like, well, what if he wrote both? Like, what if he, you know, he somehow like, you didn't know that he had written the Robin, we Robin of Lockley. We know into Regina's or sorry, not Regina. God, who, there's like four versions of friggin Lana's character in this episode. So it's going to be a bit to keep me like, to be straight, straight. Um, I guess half and half EQ. Uh, he could have, like, we didn't know that he had written them, or written uh, Robin of Locksley into that ending. And then when she goes and she finally does take that step forward into the tavern, it could have been that 
guy, but they really didn't seem to click, so I guess that wouldn't have worked. I think well, no, because he, like, he says in the diner, if you're here to kidnap me again, I'm going to mm-hmm. insist on finishing my ale. So I'm like, okay, it's the same guy. Then, like, that that's number one. Number two, well, there's so many things about this that don't make sense, truly and honestly. And I'm not trying to nitpick. It's, it's literally just with things that have already been explicitly stated or shown in the past. For example... For example, <laughs> at the beginning of this half of the season, tougher than the rest, when they're still in the wish realm and Regina walks into the tavern, and like regular Regina, like Regina Prime, Mayor Mills, walks into the tavern, everybody screams and runs away because they're afraid of the evil queen. They're afraid of her. And she's dressed like Mayor Mills. She's not dressed like all fancy. Like she's, you know, this isn't the Brady Bunch, like put on your Sunday best kids, we're going to Sears. Like she's just there in her normal outfit. And then in this episode, she walks into the tavern completely decked out in Full evil queen gear, like full drag queen gear. It's heavy, it's on. And not one person ran away from her. Now, uh, no, does that, that, no, like, that, makes, that doesn't make sense. Because of the timeline, when Regina Prime walks into the tavern and tougher than the rest, it is at a time when Snow is old and Emma's grown. So this, this evil queen has had time to be evil queen. When half and half goody EQ walks into the tavern, she's walking at a time where the evil queen didn't exist yet. And again, to my theory where it's kind of a bubble uh, situation, it doesn't exist with any of the other timelines. It's kind of like their own little paradise. But what I'm saying is, is that even if it did, there was no evil queen for them to be terrified. They're probably just like, what the hell is she dressed like that going to a tavern for? Like, chill out. Do you know what I mean? No. It happened. No. Yeah. It, I can prove the, Yes. The, the pix- no, you can't because the pixie dust, the pixie dust scene happens when Regina's young and she's got that really awesome hair, the weave, when she first meets um, Tinkerbell. And that happens, like, when she's still kind of youngish. That doesn't happen when she's gone EQ yet. Oh, I can prove you wrong. I totally can. Gonna... Bring it. Bring it. Okay. All right. So, if you'll recall, <laughs> at the end of the last half of last season... Oh, my God. I can't believe we're doing this, by the way. <laughs> with, with, <laughs> this is what we do, though. With whatever it's mm-hmm. called... Um, what the hell was that episode called? That episode was called, please hold, um, the last episode of the last half of last season was called Wish You Were Here. Thank you. There we go, Brain, for catching up. So, in Wish You Were Here, like, or not even that one, I was tougher than the rest again. Regina said, <laughs> she said, why did it Robin age? 
Now, they never properly explained that, like, with a line of dialogue explicitly. However, context clues and implications are that when Charming wished that the evil queen would get everything that she deserved, that not only did she turn into the snake, but that's also what created the Robin Hood in, like, Robin of Loxley. Mm-hmm. And that's why he didn't age. Right. So if Robin Oxley went back to the Wish Realm, and it's and he's in the same place, then he's in the same point in time as when they left. No. In the Wish Realm, yeah. I mean, unless well, that, when Robin, because I don't know how. The evil well apparently the evil queen's got all kinds of magic because not only can she poof people to other realms but maybe she can also cross like time as well as space. Nah, I, I don't know, know about that. Time but is really it, powerful. Remember, Zelina had to like mess up a barn to try to do some time travel. Exactly. So. I, but what I'm like, saying is, it's not the same guy. Well, I know it's not the same guy, but it's still the same point in time. So she's. They're still living in... Well, yeah, because... Wait, which point of time are you referring to? The point of time with Robin or the point of time with uh, Half and Half EQ? When Robin of Loxley and the Evil Queen are in the tavern at the end, they Um, are... Oh, at the end of this episode. Yes, when they're in the tavern at the end of this episode, (laughs) (laughs) they are... In the timeline, like, in terms, like, they're in the same point in time. Like, Henry, like, Prince Henry the True would still be looking for... Well, but how? Why not, though? Because he wrote her back to that moment where she made the choice not to go into the barn. Or the barn. Listen to me, the tavern. Well, then why the hell was she dressed She should have been dressed like she was in the book. Because they probably didn't want to do another costume. <laughs> to probably make us realize which Regina it was, because right now we've got four Reginas running around, and you and I can barely keep them straight. We need the visual clue that this was the person that we were looking for, and it would have totally given away the reveal of where she was at when she turned around and looked at the tavern to see that she was at the tavern, if she had gone and if she had been transformed with the long hair and the white dress. Exactly. Like, Henry, if she had just... If they had pooped no. her there and she was wearing like the old like like maiden Regina garb, like that would have given been it away too quick. But they wanted that of, re- like, they wanted that reveal. I mean, it, oh, it, it's dude, literally it was, a matter of minutes. I know it's literally a matter of minutes, and we are arguing over semantics. But what I'm saying is, is that Henry wrote her to the place where she could get a fresh start. He pretty much rebooted her. To the point I know. where she makes the decision. They should have changed her costume then to give us a visual, like confirmation of where in the timeline we were looking at. Because I don't. Know. I thought it was. Oh, I thought it was pretty clear. But then again, though, I mean, did, when you watched Hulu, did you get the previously on Once Upon a Time scenes? Because they oh, actually I showed. I finally, I finally have cable through AT and T, oh. so I have. Like I recorded it, so I was able to watch. Like I watched it twice. So well, what what I'm saying like, is, is on the on the on the previous one, they kind of like here's the cu- stuff that reminds you of what you should like totally know. They showed that that first scene where she kind of like goes in the door and is like, nope, J.K. and like leaves. 
So I think that's why that was in my mind. Well, no, but see, here's here's my like. There's two things about that then that don't work for me. Number one, the fact that her costume didn't change didn't give us that visual confirmation. So that's why I was left confused in the scenario that you're putting forth. But in mm-hmm. the scenario that you're putting forth, Robin of Longsley, who already knew the Evil Queen, would have had to have been poofed by the Evil Queen not only back to the wish realm, but back in time in the wish realm to arrive at the point in the tavern that she'd be able to walk in and look at him in the first place. No, but that's what I'm saying. It's, they didn't go to the same place. She's not in the wish realm. She's in another place. But he that knew was, her, though. He said, if you're, if you're going to kidnap me again, I need to finish my ale. So he already knew her. I must have missed that when I was, I was trying to watch the episode very fast. Yeah, yeah that's what he You have to cut me some slack. So I missed that. Um, well, shit, then I don't know. Yeah, then like he already I knew. That's why, like, that's why I'm like, what the hell is happening? Because if they got sent to the past, then that means – because Henry didn't write that, which means that the, that, that the evil queen poofed him there. And then not only that, but then, like, if they are in, like, the present-day wish realm, then that means that Henry is literally, like, writing it, like, he's looking for her, for murdering his grandparents. I just don't understand. Like... See, now that I have that piece of information, I'm confused as well. I will say, on the whole, though, everything we've just discussed is... Uh, makes me think, honestly, though, that while I'm happy, I, I did think it was sweet that they went to that place. I do think it it doesn't make me feel 100% the warm fuzzies that it wasn't Regina Prime who got that happiness, that it was like when Zelina was, she was spilling that truth tea in, in Granny's diner, and she was saying, well, she tried to murder us, and blah, 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 blah. You can tell my voice is going if I can't do the accent. <laughs> but, um, I was doing bad Scottish accents all weekend. You missed out. But uh, but, but anyway, going back to more of the point of what I'm saying is that it. I get that she was redeemed. It's just the fact that, like, this is – see, this is why Regina's redemption has been so satisfying is because it took forever. It took seasons and setbacks and everything. The Evil Queen's redemption was very quick. And to me, it wasn't very satisfying that she should get a very distinct, no-strings-attached, happy ending. And I think that's what's kind of, like, mucking up that for me. Like, I can't I can't be wholly satisfied because it, does, it didn't feel earned. That's what it was. The Evil Queen's happy ending didn't feel like it was earned. It felt like it was given to her. Exactly. So, I mean, it just, it doesn't, that part didn't make sense to me. Um, and well, I, I, I will, I will um, say, I, see the back of the Evil Queen, though. It's like, okay, I'm very glad your storyline's over because I don't particularly care for the Evil Queen, but at the same time, it it's like if you try to, uh, I don't know, if you eat a dessert really fast, of savoring it. It's like, yeah, it was good, but it could have been great if you took your time and you really studied all the nuance of it. Um, it just, it, it, it isn't so, this isn't really a knock on the writers, but it just felt like they needed, they felt like they needed to wrap that up really quick, and so they did, and it felt like it. Yeah. 
um, which is too bad. I'm sure that there were mm-hmm. a ton of constraints and reasons why that had to be so, but it is too bad because um, I feel like it's, you know, another lost opportunity. Um, all right, let's see. Um, there's so many notes, and I don't really know where to go with this now at this point. Um, oh, I will say this on a, on a, on a lighter side of things. So when Regina in the flashback, when Regina and her father found the Rainbow Bridge portal, like they found the Bifrost that took them to keep it there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I should have talked about this earlier when I was Um, that is the gayest display of magic I've seen since Prince Adam transformed into He-Man. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. It it was, yeah, I it made me laugh. And I'm <laughs> I'm surprised that you didn't see it when you were out there filming while you were being a lesbian in the woods, that it didn't just appear for you. Um, the rainbows didn't, like, you know, shoot out of my ass as I walked toward, around the Enchanted Forest. <laughs> well, yeah. it's so funny, though, because, because uh, the leaf lady gave us, she's like, oh, and this is for you, dearie, and she gave me a flower, and I was like, thank you. I mean, I was like, oh, thank you. This is, you know, I this is from the set. And I turned to my watch the episode yet what is this from and I was like oh you'll see and I was like okay cool but so like, I guess in a way it did <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't so much rainbows as, as other things but yeah <laughs> yeah but it was it was um, very it was very oh god I don't know I don't want for some reason my little pony comes to mind but that is not you know that that it was so that's, I don't that's know. not an unfair description what well, I mean, what she said when Regina was just like it's practically dripping with dark or with light magic. I was like, it kind of is. Like it's like if I'm trying to. Oh God, I was gonna say like the blue fairy, but we all know she's shady. Um, God, no. You know it, what it makes me think of? You know what it makes me think? <laughs> it's like it if no, I could do magic. No, it makes me think of Reese Witherspoon, her character and her setting, and Little Nikki. Oh, that's why she wasn't Little Nikki. I forgot that she was. Really? She's the, the evil. the an angel who is his dad, his mom. And remember how she's like up there and everything is like teenage slumber party, basically? Like, that's what it yeah. is. It's like, yeah. It's, it's almost I haven't like. I've about that movie in years. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a tween. It's, oh, my God. It was a Lisa Frank door. Okay. Um, what? It was oh totally God. a Lisa Frank yeah. Um, it was, all mean, right. The CGI looks great. It was very cupidy, though. It, I mean, like, it, I, it, it was supposed should. to be. It was supposed to be. I get that, but I was just like, woo. No, I was like, a bit, of course, it's because it was taking them to Cupid's arrow with, you know, all of the love flowers everywhere. So, you know, which is love so sweet. Flowers. But then, of course, it, it tickled me then because, like, her dad, Henry, was like, oh, you know, Cupid's arrow doesn't work. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, that's hilarious. There were there were actually, you know what, it's funny because for all the questions that we're asking um, about things like with Robin Hood and Regina and the timeline and where they were and things like that just a moment ago, 
there are some other questions that I was asking that they actually um, answered um, kind of separately from each other. Because first, I was like, when, like when they first showed like the present day, you know, Evil Queen with Robin Hood, my very first thing, my very first note that I wrote down says, why is the Evil Queen walking through a cold forest at night instead of poofing wherever it is that she needs to go? And then, obviously, when they got to where they were going, I was like, well, that makes sense. They weren't that far, so she probably wanted to walk and talk to them a little bit. And she, you know, knowing her, she probably magic some, you know, super heating pads on the inside of her coat, so she's just fine. So, um, <laughs> and then, you know, I was like, okay, she wants him to dig. Why isn't she using magic? And then, literally, the very next thing when they came back, Robin says, why can't you just use can't you, can't you just use magic to dig this up? And I was like, okay, that's funny. And then later, like <laughs> like way on, like way on down the episode from the beginning, or you know from that part when the evil queen was like walking through the cold forest, right? Um, it's the scene in the flashback where Regina is walking with her dad in the snow, and she says, as much as I enjoy our walk, Daddy, why don't, you, why don't you just give me the map and I'll magic us there? It'll be much quicker. And, it, and I literally wrote down, well, at least the writers are aware that, we, that we're asking these kind of questions. <laughs> because I just couldn't help but notice that I was, like, literally saying, like, what is this for? And then, like, oh, well, I guess that's what that's for. Okay. Well, um, and also, though, like, that, that that's when Vancouver had, like, they got dumped on by snow. And obviously, it's very, you see that throughout the episode. I'm wondering if they really wanted to use that as well in the shot. Because Vancouver is gorgeous, but put snow on it, and oh, my God. Um, yeah. I did think it was funny with the digging, though. It kind of reminded me of <laughs> when Cora made Regina dig that hole in a skirt in the yes. boots. <laughs> yeah. I remember talking about that. Oh, my God, that's so funny. Because I remember when me, and I don't remember if you were on the podcast at this point as a host. You might have been I, on I was, It was season two. I wasn't. Well, no, but me and, Amy did, me and Amy did a rewatch of season two because we didn't start the podcast till season three. So mm-hmm. um, we did a rewatch and we watched season two. When we watched that episode. I remember just specifically laughing with Amy about the fact that, like, that Cora was making Regina dig. And I, we were like, why isn't she using magic on this? Like, this, what is going on here? And I think we came to the basic consensus that Cora is just a huge bitch who would do something like <laughs> to like and use the justification of, Oh, I need to teach you a lesson, darling, that hard work can sometimes be very tedious and troublesome. But in the end the rewards are very much worth it. Like I can totally hear Barbara Hershey saying that line like no problem. Oh, so yeah, so I mean, so. like, Regina, darling, I'm gonna give you some bullshit to do and it's gonna build character. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, gosh, she's such a bitch. I love how like we're making up something that she said, and I'm using that as justification for not liking her. All right. Um, you know you love the bitchiness. I love Cora. Ugh. If you guys could see the amount of my notes like that I have for the whole present day storyline thing happening with the Evil Queen and everything. Um, <laughs> so much to get into. Like seriously, there's so much to get into with this. There's so much to unpack with that. Um, 
There's not really anything else to unpack from the flashback, although I will say that I thought it was odd that when Tink did appear, speaking of her again, that she was, like, randomly giving the villagers a history lesson about Regina's love life. Um, yeah, I, I felt like that confrontation that they had would – it was weird because it was in front of a bunch of people. I was like, this is rather personal. Why is it in front of an audience? And not only that, but I was wondering if the scene even makes sense in conjunction with Neverland, because back in the Neverland days, I got the distinct impression that Tink and Regina had not seen each other since Regina had told her not to let the door hit her wings on the way out or whatever it was. So Me too. That, I, that crossed my mind as well. So I was kind of like, does this really fit? Like, I don't know that it does. It kind of feels like it was just shoehorned in there for kind of maybe fan service perhaps um which i mean is mm-hmm. fine like i appreciate the efforts that are involved with that you know and the fact that they could even get her i mean let's be real the fact that she was only in that one scene for that one little part and not and the, and the fact that she did not play a more in-depth role or you know meaty role let's say um in the rest of the episode they clearly only had her for like one day like maybe for even, like, a few hours, like, just to get something done real quick. And, you know, with that being the case, it makes sense for why she wouldn't have been in anything else, because if she only had, if they only had her for, like, a one-day thing, there's not enough time, just with the production schedule, there wouldn't be enough time to get Lana into that costume for the flashback, have the lighting and everything get set up, film the scene, get Lana out of that costume, get Lana into another costume, um, get her, get Rose into another costume, get her, get them onto another set out of the forest. Like there's not enough time in the day for all of that. That would have been like a two or three day shoot. Um, most likely to get everything that they would have needed done, done. And they probably just didn't have that. So, you know, she's probably filming I zombie at the time. So, I I understand from the production level of why she wouldn't be able to play a more significant role in the episode. It just felt like when she did show up, it was kind of random and really short and kind she of odd. just was there to give like an info dump and that was it. Yeah. It was like exposition and, and, and at this point, like that's the other thing that I feel like is kind of a, a debatable issue because it's like, um, I don't know how to say this. If people who are watching at this point in the show, do they really need to be reminded of significant plot points like that? Because that is what it is. Is it really, that was for people coming into the show, but who comes into the show six seasons deep, especially now that we have things like Netflix and Hulu where you can binge. And that is like the way that television is watched now in huge chunks. If you want to get into a show, you can start at the beginning. It's all very accessible at your fingertips, whereas years ago it was like, hey, I have to borrow your DVDs to kind of get into it, or you start watching and then and then try to, you know, make sense of things before you can catch up. So it did feel unnecessary for longtime viewers because, I mean, anybody who's anybody who watches the show knows about Tinkerbell. Um, so it felt like it was more, I, I felt like the audience didn't need to be reminded so strongly of that particular plot point. 
Exactly. Um, you, you said it like the first thing that you said was anybody who's watching the show at this point, do they really need to be reminded about that? Because the answer is a, a clear, definitive, and emphatic no. Um, because not only do we not need to be reminded about that, but we also, like, for those of us who are still watching and those of us who are some hardcore, you know, fans of the show, we obsess over the show, so we don't necessarily <laughs> need a reminder about what's happened because we remember. No. Um, no. You know, for any, and for any new viewers, like, if you're watching it on Netflix or something, like, I understand that you need to keep your audience up to date, especially when you have multiple timelines and multiple versions of the same character going on now at the same time. It might be a little bit more difficult to keep track of them all. But um, I, if you're, like, you, I feel like at a certain point, like, the audience has to, you know, like, you can't make the audience pay attention. Like, they have to pay attention. Like, they have a certain – I feel like if you're watching a show and you don't know what's going on, that's kind of your own fault for not paying attention. So the writers should not, not the writers, like I'm focusing on these writers of the writers show specifically. Writers as a whole. Field writers in general should not cater to that kind of thing because it doesn't always pay off and or is maybe not executed as successfully as you may have wished or as you had originally intended. Well, I think that's also, I mean, I think it's a very, like, uh, an older school thing within TV writing where I feel like the viewer or how television has evolved quicker than how people write television. Um, like, things like, let's, I always use the example of Westworld where they kind of spend a lot of time reminding you of things where it's like, or they try to, they end up really kind of dropping a lot more clues than they necessarily need to because people watch television under, like, you know, such a microscope now. Whereas a few years ago, you know, Westworld, I think, would have blown more minds. But now we can screen cap things and we can compare and we, I feel like there's a lot more interviews in regards to how stories are told as opposed to just how do you like playing so-and-so on that show, Mr. Actor Person. So I think how TV is, I always say how TV is consumed has changed, but I think that how this show, or how this show, excuse me, how this uh, moment in this episode was written points to the fact that sometimes television and how it's written haven't caught up with how it's viewed. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And I agree with you on that point as well. I think that's very well stated. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really have anything to add to that because I think these sums up perfectly. So um, I'm actually just going to move on. <laughs> I liked having There's, snow like that. I liked snow in the snow. That was fun. It really was. I was like, oh, this is so poetic and appropriate. Um, and it was like heavy snow, too. Um, mm-hmm. which I, also I don't think that was movie snow. I think that they were like stuck with the weather they had and they just went with it. Yeah. Which is fine because it really adds to the... I really. It's so funny to me how... And they may have even said this on a commentary, so I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this in the world, but I think it's ironic that adding snow 
to a to a show like this automatically gives it a more fantasy feel. Oh, totally. It it, it brings to mind like maybe uh, I want to say Narnia, but almost not. There's something very ethereal about snow and how it 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 it, it has this oh, like yeah. weight to it for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what it is for me? for me. It's a factor of like it's not only just the fact that there's snow there because like I you know you can watch like Home Alone or like the Santa Claus and see things with snow in it. You know what I mean? So it's not like this is the first time that you're seeing snow on television or even in a forest setting. But there's something about the forest in Vancouver and the way that it looks up there and the way that it looks, especially with snow um, that just gives it, because it's like that, it's a basically like a, that rainforest because it is a rainforest up there. Um, when mm-hmm. you get into that kind of thing, like there's a lot of, you know, it's considered a rainforest, even though it's not like a tropical one, it's still a rainforest. Um, conifers, I think, when, or something, I don't remember. Yeah. So when you have, and like evergreen trees and things. So when you have snow up there, it kind of just changes the effect. And also, I feel like with this show especially, because of the fact that there's so much jumping around with time and the fact that there's, you know, so many different settings as far as, like, the real world versus the, the, you know, Enchanted Forest and things like that, I feel like the snow gives the Enchanted Forest portion of the story, um, like, it gives it the feeling of a passage of time. And it makes it feel more like a real place and that this really happened and that, you know, those events really did occur. You know what I mean? Um, oh, definitely. It, it, I mean, it gives it a level of realism because you can tell when you're watching it that it's real snow and that they filmed it in real snow and that they're not on a studio somewhere with it. It's like shredded newspaper or soap bubbles or something. <laughs> well, it's so funny because when we went to go find filming, we started walking through the woods. And I think I was the only one who had actually been there before. Is that they were actually filming in the same park that I was able to two years ago, and so you know, I think we parked by a train station, and you know, and then you walk into the woods, and it just starts to get very quiet, and very dark, and we're trying to find our way, and I just turn around to the other gals I was with, and I go, guys, we're in the enchanted forest. And you are 100% correct. There's something about being in a physical place or them filming in a physical place that brings a real, like, gravity to... It makes it real. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It, 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 it brings a, like... Ah, I guess a weight to the fantasy. Like, it doesn't... You know, you know they're in an environment. You know they're not in a soundstage. And that, honestly, is one of the things that really grabbed me in the pilot when that first scene where Charming wakes Snow and she's in the glass coffin and she's out in the woods. And, I, you know, we've all heard the story where right when they started filming, it actually... They had fake snow, but it actually started snowing for real um, right. in that scene. Yeah, I mean, just things like that. Like you could, you could tell, and it adds something special to it. Exactly, and I really, so it's something that's really romantic. It gives it just such a nice romantic fantasy feeling, and I enjoy it. Um, no, it's so romantic. I actually love the snow. I love the cold. I'm moving to Vancouver, guys. See ya, bye. <laughs> I'm seriously like, I don't understand why you have it. Um, 
Um, oh, this is completely non sequitur, but there was a, the, the Cannery Cafe that plays that where is Granny's that that's Granny's Diner is actually under new management. The lady who used to work there doesn't or own it. The real life Granny she doesn't own it anymore. It's really sad. And there's the new owners didn't grow with Once Upon a Time. We'll just say that. And so the kind of joke at the convention was because Beverly Elliott said this in her panel. She's like, um, I should just buy the place and I should like make it redo the inside to look like Granny's and I should have open night, mic night and we'll sing and it'll be great, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here thinking like, so when are we starting the Kickstarter, Beverly? What are you and I going to business? And we're going to make Granny's a real thing. So <laughs> I she think would I have to buy it. She would have to buy some of the lot next door and break it down and like ex- like knock down the whole building and build it up again wider and bigger to accommodate the massive amount of people that would want to be there partying with Granny every night. Like, well, they've got that oh little bit God. in the back. They've got that little like the cannery parking that I've never seen anybody parking because everyone parks on the street. Um, it's you could just, just there's that whole that whole alley back there because there's the shops on the other side. P.S. Guys, go to Stevens, buy, spend a ton of money on all the shops. They're fantastic. Support that town because they've given us so much. The shop owners are so generous with fans, and they love being fans. Go eat food, spend money in Stevens. Yeah, which is not only Storybrooke but also Angel Grove. It is, and it was in Godzilla. But I'm, I, I think I thought it was hysterical. They had that, what is it like that one, um, the promo photo of Rita Repulsa. She's standing outside, like Angel Grove Coffee. I'm like, hey, that's Storybrooke Coffee. What the hell? Yeah, like I remember looking at that picture and being like, God, that looks really familiar. And then I saw the fence, and I was like, that's fucking Granny's fence. And then, mm-hmm. 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 I mean, not it was. It's for the um, it's for the visitor center, that yellow building. They got rid of some of the, the trees there. Center. It's not. Yeah. It's not as there's not as many trees in that lot as there was last time I was there either. But and I mentioned that just because that you notice that right away because it's so it's not creepy, but like when you go to Stevenson, it's it's so even if there's a ton of people walking around, it's still deadly quiet, and yeah. it hasn't changed in two years since I've been there. Like nothing. It's un. It is truly untouched by time. It's wild. Yeah, it, and it, and when you go there, like especially if you've never been there before, well, that's not true because I've been there a few times, and every time I go, it's the same feeling. Just for having, but the, especially it's especially true the first time that you go. Like when you first go to Steveston, and you're actually walking like on that like block or two little stretch that is Storybrooke's Main Street. Like it feels like you're walking in a memory that isn't yours. It's like you're in the pensieve in Harry Potter almost. Like mm-hmm. it, it just feels mm-hmm. so because like you've never been there before, and yet you have been there before many, many times, and you know exactly where everything is and where every mm-hmm. what everything and then you get there and you're like, I've never been here before, but I've been here every Sunday. Like, <laughs> it's just so That's strange. exactly it. That is 100% exactly it. It's so bizarre. Um, let's see. We've only got about a half hour left on this podcast. I've got so many other notes still. Um, I really enjoy the Evil Queen's repertoire with Robin of Loxley. I feel like they have really great comedic banter. Um, I mm. feel like 
like especially after having seen Robin Hood versus Robin of Loxley, um, for me personally now um, at this point, I'm far more interested in Sean McGuire's um, acting performances on the comedy side of things and not the drama side, because I mm-hmm. feel like with knowing him, like seeing him at conventions and having interacted with him, you know, in that way and seeing what a joking guy he is and on the outtakes and, and, you know, things of that nature. Um, and especially with this episode, I really feel like what um, guys what? in the chat room, help me out, help me out. Ray, Maggie, help me out. Help me out. Give me a sword. Give me a link. Give me something. Who's who's Twitter. Who's What's happening? Maggie, I need information. Help me. Who's? Where? Something happening? Yes, something is happening. Like, something is happening. I need information. I need to know. I'm going to like all of them. Who? Spoiler TV. Fuck, of course it's spoiler TV. All right. Sorry, I'm like scrolling like a beast now on my Twitter to see. I, I, come on. Okay, 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 okay. So everyone's probably freaking out now. So this is a spoiler TV article. Thank you very much for the source. Thank you very much. I love you so much. You are the best. You're the best, Maggie. You're the best. According to the Vancouver Autograph Collector, Josh Dallas and Jennifer Goodwin signed autographs on their final return to Vancouver and said this because the screenshots attached. The Instagram post has since been deleted. Excuse me, it's since been updated, but one fan took a screenshot of it. Josh signing autographs in the final change for spoiler alert. This post is I just want to see it. I know what you're referring to. Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Jones signing autographs on their final return to Vancouver as regular cast members of Once Upon a Time, though they did say they'd be happy to come back next season to guest star if they're invited to. Well, you know, I don't know what to make of that, and that might be coming from Spoiler TV, but until something more official comes, I'm going to say that's hearsay. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast right now is like having a heart attack. I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? And now like, it's just, it's a thing where it may just be hearsay and it's, uh, it's a rumor of something that we've known is coming for a while and everyone's just like, oh my God, you're so dumb. Like, we're not listening to your podcast anymore. Lame. <laughs> um, all right. That's okay. No need to apologize. It's all right. Um, Max in the chat room. I see it. It's cool. Um, all right. Thank you for being so quick to share that. You guys are the best. All right. So more notes, 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 notes about the episode. Now that my heart is going a normal speed. Um, Sean's comedic chops. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm more interested in what he can do as a comedic actor. And it makes me especially more interested to see what's going to be going on this Sunday, um, at comedy, not conflict, because if he is going to be, performing in some kind of comedic capacity, then I'm really looking forward to that. Um, oh, especially if he gets to like play with his friends, you know what I mean? Oh, it, that's damn right, too. And um, especially because in addition to, you know, their great repertoire 
Um, that scene with the enchanted ropes where he's all tied up in the office is hilarious. Um, oh, yeah. I thought that was great. Um, and also, too, I heard the word destroy five times in this episode, including twice within two lines of dialogue, and I was just like, we get it. Things are going to be destroyed. Um, people are going to be destroyed. Um, oh, one thing, too. Like, I'm just going to – I'm quickly just going through my notes. Feel free to, like, jump in with anything anything that you notice here. I love the fact that it was the Shears of Destiny from Hercules, and don't tell me they're anything different. Remember those? I love the fact that that's what separated them um, because I was wondering how exactly they were going to do this. Although, I will say this. I genuinely thought when Regina took the Evil Queen's heart and then took her heart out, and the magic started whatever, like, you know, trading off between the two of them. I thought that she was combining their hearts again and that she was going, like, that they were going to be reintegrated, like I have been positing on this podcast for the last couple of weeks. Um, I was so sure that that was going to, that that was what was going to happen. And then that's what confused me, though, is because then, like, she became, like, the same person. Because they both have good and evil inside of them, and one of them is dressed like a queen, and the other one is dressed like a mayor. But they have the same experience. So I was kind of, I don't know. I don't feel like they, I don't know. It um, was very odd seeing the evil queen talk like Regina. Like, when they became half and half, like, to for all of, all of her, and I don't want to call it confidence, because that's really not what it was. It was a defense mechanism, really, now that we've seen in this episode. But it had um, it uh, seeing that melt away and seeing her be more reserved. Uh, I I I you know everybody uh, you know all praise Anna Faria, but it is to really to be able to play four different versions of the character like and have them feel like distinctly different people. That was an achievement that she does deserve props for that. But yeah, it was very odd seeing that. I felt like, like it, it's what struck me the most in this scene when they're sitting on the couch across from each other and they're having a polite conversation yeah. with no threats or anything. Yeah. Bizarre. Um, that was really strange. I did enjoy the fact that the evil queen said to Henry, she said unto him, if you will, um, when she handed him the page to give to Regina, page 23, and that scene in um, his room in the house when he was, like, getting his stuff to leave. Mm-hmm. When she said, and remember, no matter what anyone tries to tell you, I love you. I did like that because that is pretty much what she said in A Land Without Magic after the curse was broken. She was like, no matter what anyone tries – no, she said, no matter what you think, no matter what anyone tells you, I do love you. And – and then she ran out of the emergency room. So I appreciate the fact that that line of dialogue came back into play. But really, like, when that happened and then the whole thing with Regina, like, when Regina looked in the mirror and she said, and now I love myself. And, I mean, I'll be honest, some of the dialogue in that scene was a little clunky. And some of the dialogue in the scene where they were sitting on the couches felt a little bit clunky to me as well. It didn't quite hit flow very well. Right. Yeah. Um, message was, you know, I mean, I got the message. It just, yeah. Um, but like when all that was happening, like when Regina said, you know, I love myself and, and that whole thing happened and she acknowledged the fact that even though apparently pixie dust is never wrong, it was wrong. This time. No, it says, 
it's, I thought it was pixie dust doesn't lie. That pixie dust is never wrong. Or was it pixie dust? Am I misquoting? Somebody I don't know me. what it was. Well, no, that, that, makes it, that makes a distinct but, difference, though, because then, then think is like, well, Pixie, you know, she kind of contradicts herself. It depends on which which quote it is, but I'm not 100% sure. So that that's what kind of, but then again, it feels as if we we're, again, arguing semantics like we were earlier. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that really warrants delving too deep. But then at the other on the other hand, it's like the show has established certain things. So when something doesn't fit right, it feels very off. And I think that's what you had mentioned when you were first uh when we first were talking on the podcast in, in the beginning of this episode, um where, you know, certain things, continuity kind of felt a little like ooh. So Um, yeah, because that leads me to a bigger point, which kind of goes in line with the spoiler TV article, funny enough, that we were just discussing. Here's why I I really am kind of actually, now that I think about it, now that I really have given it some, some thought and some feels, At first, you know, when I was thinking about it and the fact that this episode didn't quite hit home for me and didn't feel like it got the resolution that I needed, um, I accepted that. And it was just like, whatever. But now that I'm thinking about it more, now that we're talking about it more, it's very, very real to me that we don't have much time left with this show as it is right now and as it has been. We don't necessarily have a lot of time left with these actors on a regular basis. Um, you know, at, on the show, some of them. This the combination of actors? Combination, yeah. Um, so with, with the fact that this chapter, as they've described it, if this if this chapter of the show is coming to an end, then every episode has to stick it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. But every episode has to stick the landing then. Um, and I feel like if this is the like the end of this part of the story, then we should get more than this. And I feel shitty saying it that way because it's like making a demand of somebody to when it's not their show and I have respect for them and so forth. But I guess I said before, it's only because I'm so passionate that I care and that I would say something like this to begin with. Um, I just feel like we should have gotten more because I've spent, a, you know, not just me, but we all of us who are still with the show at this point. Cause I, I really feel like a lot of people at this point who are still watching the show live every week, are, or even, you know, even on their DVR or, you know, something like that, whatever. But I feel like the people who are still watching it through their cable service and not a streaming service, I'll put it that way, um, are people who have been here maybe from the beginning or at least from the early, early days. Because, like, you, for example, you didn't watch it in season one, you watched it in season two, and then you got, right. you know, more than watching it live since then. I feel like the people who are still watching it at this point got into it in the first couple of seasons. 
and have been watching it weekly on a weekly basis ever since, like the hardcore group of fans. And even though I understand that, you know, you have to appeal to a broader group because, you know, people, you know, might be watching on the, on Netflix or whatever. But again, kind of going back to the point that we were discussing earlier, if you're watching a show when you're on season six of that show, mm-hmm. if you don't know what the hell is going on by now at that point, then that's like your own deal. And I can understand that sometimes it's hard to like remember all the details if you binge it all at once because they can kind of all flow together. Like I remember when I binged like Battlestar Galactica, some of it like kind of melded together because it was just all, <laughs> you know, so much. And it's all such a similar thing. So I can see why that would happen or where that would happen. But I also, again, feel like at this point, like season six of this show, like you, you, uh, well, it just should have stuck the landing. This one didn't stick the landing for me. The resolution between Regina and the evil queen didn't stick it. The resolution between Regina and Robin of Loxley didn't stick it. There is no resolution for Regina and Robin Hood, which sticks it. Um, so, you know, I just, I kind of feel, you know, on a positive note, at least, um, Hook told Emma how stupid he was being. Oh, gosh. That whole business kind of, I'm, I'm just like, hmm. Yeah. I mean, I get, I, I get it, I get conflict. Actually, though, I kind of, I know that it's, it's quote unquote unnecessary conflict, but I kind of like the fact that Gideon like screwed Hook in the end, and you, you just heard the door lock. Uh, the way they did that, I feel like, like Emma was expecting him to come home, and then he didn't. And I know that it's going to be a misunderstanding, and it's drama, and we don't want that. But at the same time, it's like that was kind of like that was without dialogue, without even showing the actor, that kind of, like, really spoke volumes. Yeah. But you said something, Um, I don't want to steal your point, because I think it's a very good point, but you said something that made me really realize why I wasn't 100% feeling the engagement. And you had said to me the other day that, um, was it you? I can't take credit for this because it's not my thought but I, I've discussed this with several other people, but they basically said that, if it was you, Zach, please take the credit. I, I, I can't remember now who I discussed this with, but they weren't enjoying the engagement storyline just because it wasn't told from Emma's point of view. It was told from Hook. Seeing Emma's part in a lot of this, or seeing it from Hook's mindset and Hook's point of view. I did not make that point, but I completely agree with it. I know who it was. It was it was Sean. It was somebody I was with at at the um at the con. But yeah, like that, like kind of opened the scales fell from my eyes, and I was like, "That's what it is. That's what's bothering me." I mean, I'm not entirely surprised by that. Um... When the hell did the main focus of their relationship go from Emma to Hook? Like, oh my god. Okay. I'm not gonna. When they went to hell. When they went to hell, that's that, but I mean. You know what? You are, no, it's not even, not even. 
it was the Dark Swan storyline. When they turned nope. something that should have been about Emma into I need to save Hook. That's what it was. That's what it was. Okay. Um, I'm not going to. And don't get me wrong, listeners. Don't get me wrong, listeners. I'm not hating on a ship, and I'm not hating on a character. I actually like Hook a lot. Um, I don't know. It's just there's something about this. And I've I've talked about my feelings about the, you know, television engagement. And this applies across the board for anybody. Like, I was really nervous when... Ben and Leslie were getting married on Parks and Rec, too. I was like, this is not going to be great. And it did kind of, like, you know, take a little out of their character as well. And I love Ben and Leslie on Parks and Rec. So, yeah, it's just, I feel like with this, I just feel like, I, I was, to Zach's point earlier, I just feel like we had, if we had more time. Because it's just feeling like we're running out of time now. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm very grateful for everything the show's given me. I will say that. I mean, always, of course. And I, and you know, it'll always be that way. It definitely will. Um, The very last minute. Um. I still have so many more notes. Um, I know we're, we're 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 very rapidly running out of time tonight. Yes, we are. Um, let me see. Oh, quick thing. Um, number one, when the evil queen said to Regina, "Do you regret it not walking through the door of that tavern all those years ago?" And then Regina says, if I had, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have Henry or my family or this town. When she said my family, I was like, oh, my God. Like, even if, you know, I don't particularly care for the resolution and I didn't necessarily like a lot of the dialogue, I felt like that part was, that part did knock it out of the park. Um, That, I love that because it, it spoke very, very, it rang very true for me because, like, and it's too much of a story to go into now, but basically, if you know me personally or if you want to speak in person about this, before I found this show and before I became friends with Zach, before I moved back to Chicago, a lot of bad things happened. Um, God, how old am I now? Six years ago. It was a very rough time for me personally. And where I am now, I don't regret those bad things happening because there are so many better things in my life right now and I wouldn't have had the drive or the opportunity to pursue them had I not had to experience the rough part. So, and then part of that was making very tough decisions about my future and so that those lines, like that is the moment for me in this episode. And granted, I understand that her not walking through the door also led to a lot of pain for other people as well. And when she says, I wouldn't have this town, it kind of made me go, well, yes, but, you know, it is because of a curse. That's kind of not great. But the sentiment there is what's important, I think, because 
that was something negative that became something positive for so many people. What happened with Emma? Emma wouldn't be the Emma that she is today if she hadn't been separated from Snow and Charming. Did I just bring it down a little too much? I can do a funny voice. I'm just thinking about season one. Um, let's see what else. Um, I have more notes. One's always going to uh, be there. I actually have a hard time watching it now. Um, let me see. I have, it's funny because I'm having a hard time. Like, I want to go back and watch the first season, and I'm actually getting emotional, so I have to talk about something else. Um, no, I know what you mean. I want to go back to, and, and if and when everything's said and done, that's exactly what I'm going to do with that start with that black screen and that little appearing title myth and do it all over again. Even the rough stuff. Even even the uh, uh, Captain Hook, whatever, whatever we, I don't even remember. I see, and that's the thing, I don't even remember what problems I have with this episode now, but like, any all the rough stuff, even with all that, it makes, it's like kind of what Regina was saying, it makes everything else worth it. Yeah, for me, it like, God, it's always such a downer thing, and we're at the end of the podcast. We're going to talk about something more uplifting in just a second, you guys, I promise. But to your point from just a second ago, like, where I'm at in my life right now and everything that's happened to me in the past few years and meeting the cast and interviews and everything, like, all of that. Like, kind of like with you, like how, you know, you had some bad stuff happen and you know, it was a dark time in life, and then the show came and kind of was transformative, as it was mm-hmm. for me. Um, I'm just going to say this as bluntly as I can, and I don't really want to harp on it. We can just give it a second, like let the beat drop and let the weight of these words sink in and then move on. But it's really weird to think that all the blessings that I have in my life right now only happen because my mom died. So that's where it is. Um, perhaps she's the reason. All right. A um, couple of other things because I don't want to leave it on that note. I did think that it was highly appropriate that when the evil queen had her sword turned on Regina, Regina managed to defeat her using a bowl of apples. I got you, Zach. Uh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I thought the apples were funny. It's like, how about these apples, Scarecrow? But Yeah. And also, when the evil queen sent Regina flying into the mirror, I also thought that was appropriate because... As I've said many times on this podcast between Emma and Regina, that they are reflections of each other, that they are two sides of the same coin. Um, And then there's always been a lot of mirror action going on there. Um, I felt it was appropriate that Regina got thrown into a mirror um, by the evil queen because Regina no longer reflects the evil queen. Mm. And... And it was kind of like a breaking of the of the things. Like it was after you know they'd been split. 
it was the thing that truly showed that they were no longer like the same person. Um, mm-hmm. I guess maybe, and you know, the fact that the Evil Queen in the fairy tale and the Disney version it's all about vanity. Um, and that was what it was about. So I. It was just really appropriate. The uh, the magic mirror. Hello. Um, so I just thought that that was really awesome. I thought that was that that was neato. Um, it was a nice that whole touch. fight scene was perfect. The whole fight and and I really enjoy the the um, I don't know split screen is not the right word because that's not what they do anymore. But having Lana film both bits and fighting herself and just the work that went into it, and how good it looked and how like exciting it was I that was uh, an amazing part of the episode yeah when I was watching it I kind of had maybe like an idea of how they did it like I mean some of it was obvious but like when the fight scenes were happening and like it it truly did look like they were fighting each other that those swords were making contact um Mm -hmm. Like it really, it really looked like that. Part of me was, um, as I was watching that from a production point of view, I was like, how did they do this? And it was either, I feel like it was a combination of a stunt double who looks a lot like Lana and who, mm-hmm. and whose hair and everything, you know, that they made sure the wig and all that was absolutely spot on so that they could film that. It was either that or they did that and they had her, you know, there. And then they, like they replaced part of her, I know it sounds creepy, but they replaced her face with Lana's for certain shots. Like I'm talking about split seconds where you see her, her face for a split second. Um, because there was one shot in particular when they're in kind of like the main part of that room. And it's like a shot from behind the table. You can see the apples on the table and Regina is like moving kind of from the door over by the door towards the table and like a clock counterclockwise kind of motion. And the evil queen has like the sword. So that's when she like gets her into that position right before she grabs the apples. And there's a shot where, um, Lana's head or that person's head stunned double or Lana, I don't know, um, has their head turned. You can clearly see the face. And there was one quick second where it looked like something was just a tiny bit off. And I was like, Oh, that looks like an effect. Um, so there was that, but then it also, to me, it looks like they locked the camera down as far as like the, cause what you can do is you can lock the angle, like the camera down so that it's in a certain place and it has a certain aspect ratio and, and things like that. And that's how they do split screen things. And then it seems like, cause you can especially see it in the scene where Regina picks up the lamp and is walking over to put it back. Um, you mm-hmm. can tell that she's actually in the room at that point. Like, so in that shot, if you look at it, if you watch it again, for anybody who's interested, if you want to see what I'm talking about, when the evil queen sits on the couch after they've hugged and they, and she's picked it up and set it upright, she sits on the couch. Regina walks past carrying a lamp. You can very, very clearly see that Regina is not really that, like that that's the one that's the effect that the evil queen, that it that's what like- she was on not a shimmer it's like an edge it's really weird i know what you mean yeah there yeah there is like an edge to it like where they couldn't quite grab all the green screen out um because it's really really hard when you get to the edge because you basically have to go like pixel by pixel and actually like um it's almost like you run the risk of almost like photoshop yeah so 
because that, that actually that there's something like that in the pilot episode. If you look, it's funny because like when after Regina casts the curse, there's a moment where she has no nose. The mm-hmm. smoke hasn't quite. It's just funny, but um, but yeah, we only have a couple minutes left. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Also, um, Henry said that the rule he said specifically quote the rules say I'm not supposed to affect the lives of people in my book. Now I don't know if that's foreshadowing or what, but I was like, okay, cool. Um, also, too, as far as Zelina goes, um, they kept showing shots of her. First, like, when after, like, when the Evil Queen was saying goodbye and Snow stands up and then Zelina stands up. And I thought that was interesting. And then um, when Henry says, I wonder where the Evil Queen went, and Regina's like, there's never any way to know for sure. Like, Zelina has this look on her face that's almost like half, I don't care, half, I wonder where she did go. And part of me now is honestly, like, my theory, like, I'm starting to wonder if she's going to end up going to the Wish Realm to, hang, to like, go hang out with the Evil Queen and, like, have the two of them be sisters or whatever. Well, I know she's, like, got some, she's got some stuff coming up. It was a, a – she's spoken about it or there's a news article that there – it is an Oz episode coming up for Zelina. So I'm wondering if, I'm assuming those are flashbacks or what it sounds like. So I'm wondering what will be happening in the present day to mirror those flashbacks. Very interesting. Well, that, because I noticed that too, they're showing her a lot. Well, that's that's true. But she's also, she's going to be singing in the musical episode, which happens after that. Oh, so. yes. Mm-hmm. I think she's gonna. I think she might go back in the finale and have that be like a thing, and that's where she'll end up. Plus, it'll give her a chance to raise baby Robin with some form of Robin in a weird way, which I'm sure that'll make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe they won't do. That. Never mind. Let me back that up. Reverse it. Um, I also love the line: "If she has escaped her mortal coil at the beginning." Um. I would also like to know how Emma knew that David's father was David's father in the Dreamcatcher. And 90 seconds left. And P.S., by the way, Hook, burning a Dreamcatcher, not cool, number one. Number two, Dreamcatchers are not your thing, dude. Back off a meal. Um, all right, so we have, like, a minute left. Um, yeah, Roland as well, Maggie. I see. What about Roland, like, with the other Robin raising the kids? I get it. We don't have enough time. Oh, God. Um, we'll be back next week on Tuesday. To discuss a wondrous place, which sounds like it's going to be, and looks like it's going to be that episode where we see Ariel, Ariel, Jasmine, and Hook on an adventure because that's what they showed in the promo. Um, also, too, um, Gideon is a little shit for sending Hook away on the Nautilus. Um, I understand that he doesn't want him to be in Storybrooke because that he's going to use that as part of his plan to like get to Emma. But oh my God, it's like stretching out their angst and it's just ridiculous. Anyways, guys, we'll see you next week on Tuesday. Same bad time, same bad channel. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we will see you then. Have a good night. Night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.